0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I invite you to go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and today we'll be in verses 21 through 26. Last week's message ended with the question, whose righteousness is sufficient? If our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus' hearers would have said, then we're all in trouble. How much trouble are we in? The question would have been, well, then how can we be righteous? And what is our understanding of the law? If the external righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees wasn't enough, then we're all in trouble. What does it take to be made right with God? That would have been the question on the hearers' minds that were there in Jesus' day. Most people are concerned with this, beloved. If we're honest, most people think about, what do people think about me? What are people gonna say about me? If I wear this, if I go here, if I, all these different things, what will people think about me? What do people think about me? All of these questions, but there's a more important question and that is what does God think about you? What does God say about you? See, once you have an understanding of what God says about you and that is true, that gives you the posture that it doesn't matter what any it doesn't matter what anyone says about you if what God says is opposite of what they say, you don't have to worry. If someone in love is talking to you and they're sharing with you God's perspective, then you need to listen. I need to listen. This morning, the title of the message is Jesus On, and we're gonna see this over the next six messages. Jesus on anger. Anyone have trouble with anger? Losing your temper? We're gonna talk about this this morning. The law is useful to help people assess their own spiritual condition. I want to say this at the outset. These messages are not to equip Jesus' enemies, the scribes and Pharisees, the legalists, to get a larger clipboard, to go around to evaluate everyone around them at how they're keeping or not keeping the standard. This is for personal evaluation. And someone who is all about external righteousness has no desire to take personal inventory. They simply like to make it all about what you're doing or not doing by their standard. Most people, when they are confronted with the law of God, they feel like they're good to go because they'll say with tongue in cheek and kind of a chuckle, at least I've never killed anybody right? Like, you know, I've never killed anybody, so I should be, you know, the Lord will one day look at me, you know, and this idea of Peter at the gate, and you've never killed anybody, right? No, I've never killed anybody. Oh, well then, come on in as if you kept the whole law. Think about this. This is a common perception that people think, I've never killed anybody, so I must be good with God. But somewhere in our heart, we say that that just doesn't feel right, James, the half brother of Jesus, he said, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it. It's like a huge window pane, and you shatter one part and you've ruined the whole window. Break one part of the law. From the mountain, Jesus delivered an in depth description of the upside down life for his disciples. So he started off in the third person, blessed are they. He moved down for his disciples to the second person, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And then we saw the transition where Jesus says, Behold, I say to you. He's really shifting it into low gear and he's really cultivating the the lower depths of the heart to say, Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you understanding what I'm saying? When he said, I say to you, it's actually even more intense. It's I myself say to you. Like it's more emphatic that he's saying, listen, I'm not quoting anybody else right now. I'm telling you, I myself am saying to you, and he's giving truth. Jesus came to fulfill God's law, and he reveals, and even through his preaching, that the law is useful as a diagnostic tool to rightly assess our spiritual condition. The law shows us the character and the goodness of God and it shows me, whoa, I'm not God. And I have failed and failed and failed. Sinclair Ferguson, he says it this way. He says God's law is the standard for evaluation in the kingdom of God, but not the standard For entrance into the kingdom, I've said this repeatedly throughout the Sermon on the Mount series, counterculture. This isn't here. Do all this and you'll be good with God. Because you can't retroactive, you can't even keep all that, but you can't go retroactive. We're sinners by nature, we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice, we're in trouble. But the gospel comes in and shows us our Savior. The law says you have a problem. The gospel says here's the solution to your problem. I am not my own Savior. I can't save people in my family. I can't save you. Sometimes, beloved, sometimes people are surrounded by those who are just living through one crisis after another, and they try to be, are you hearing me now? They try and be a Savior to those people, and you can't do it you'll drown trying to do it. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. All right. See, I'm liking the 9 o'clock hour. You guys are just like right with it, okay? If you see the 11 o'clock hour, you got to tell him, come on, come on, step it up a notch, all right? Pick it up a little bit. Uh, bring your A game, okay? Let's listen to the words of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Now we have some work to do. Three lessons from Jesus about anger and reconciliation. And if we're honest, beloved, these these three lessons from Jesus will make or break a disciple's testimony. Whether we choose to follow and obey Jesus, it will provide amazing opportunities to be a witness, but it will make or break your witness. Avoiding anger, pursuing reconciliation. First lesson from Jesus is in the first two verses of our text for today, verses 21 and 22, and this is lesson number one, rage is a serious problem. And immediately, some of us will be saying, rage? I I don't have rage. You know, I mean, I get upset every now and then. But come on, let's, let's think about this. You ever been with somebody and they've experienced road rage? All right, that's a very common thing. Rage, anger, that intense inside. Losing one's temper, hatred, disdain, even, now listen to me now, dislike in the heart are all offensive to God. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I love them, but I just don't like them. I have never killed anybody. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Oh, well, then God says, okay, you love them, but you don't like them. All right, well, that's all right then. I don't think so. Beloved, our problem is worse than we think. Our problem is more serious than we can even comprehend. So here Jesus challenged religious tradition. That's what's going on. He was in fact declaring that much of Judaism had a skewed, had a deficient understanding of God's law. So he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders murders will be liable to judgment. Let's first of all unpack what Jesus is not saying here. What Jesus did not say, he Not saying he has a problem with the law. He is not saying that scripture is wrong. Remember, he is the fulfillment of the law. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Matthew 4, three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. When he was teaching on the difference between breaking tradition and the commandment of God in Matthew 15, will you turn there in your Bibles with me? Because here's just a more of an expansive illustration where the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jesus' enemies, they come to him. They're picking him apart. They don't like him. They can't stand him. They want to be rid of him. He's messing up their entire mojo of what they had going on, the whole, you know, captive religion under them. And Jesus was threatening it all. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then the The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, okay, here's the big, you know, you can almost picture like the the black SUVs rolling out of town, dust, sirens coming out. Here they are. What's the problem? It's got to be serious, right? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Do you know how many churches across the globe this morning that is the issue that God would say to them? You have all of these traditions, but they do not stem from Scripture. And you're breaking the commandment of God in the name of God. And you think he's going to be like, oh, okay, you used my name. No. For God commanded. Do you see that in verse 4? So how does Jesus view Scripture? Listen to the phrases that are different. When we go back to Matthew 5, he's saying something different in the setup. He's saying when he's confronting them, for God commanded it's the word of God, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you have gained from me is, now you've got to have this spiritual super pious sound here, is given to God. Okay, so I'm not taking care of my mom and dad because I've given it to the Lord. <laughs> okay. So Jesus is saying therefore he need not father honor his father so for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of god you hypocrites well did isaiah prophesy of you when he said this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of who men you take men's ideas and you teach them as if they are from God. You take a man's idea, and I haven't heard a lot of people out on the internet who were prophesying that, that what happened on Wednesday in the inauguration wouldn't happen. I haven't heard a lot of people out there saying, I'm guilty for using God's name in vain. They'll just repackage it. And they'll keep coming in all different avenues of people saying they're speaking for God. I'm sorry, where do I look in my Bible to check what you're saying? That's my my solid ground. That's my anchoring point, Not, not how I feel, how you feel, not opinions. What does God say? For God commanded. That's what Jesus said. All right, go back to Matthew 5, and then here's what Jesus says. He says, for you have heard that it was said of those of old. He didn't say it is written. He didn't say for God commanded. He said, you've heard this. You've heard this teaching, and you've heard it a long time and he's going to set it straight. So, what did Jesus, in fact, then say? He'll say it six times in this section with all authority. The context here is you've heard that it was said of old. So, he's confronting the false teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And if you read through the Gospels, you will hear him doing this repeatedly. He challenged the long standing religious tradition. It's exactly what Martin Luther did when he nailed the 95 Thesis to the door in Wittenberg, Germany, October 31st, 1517. He thought that the church, the Catholic church would say, you've shown us scripture and we're out of line with scripture. And he was going for a reform of the church to go back to scripture. And instead they doubled down and they said, anathema to you which is a very cleaned up version of saying you can, you can burn in hell. But we're not changing our ways. And there's been no change in the centuries. He said, here I stand, I can do no other. And he's taking a stand on the word of God. In passing, he's not without fault. There were areas that Luther, his own disciples say, you taught us to take the Bible. Where's infant baptism in the Bible? And he couldn't show it to him. And he said, I've come as far as I'm going to come. Okay, we're all human. So don't put your hope in anyone other than Jesus. What's the content of what Jesus is saying? Uh, Jesus is here challenging these teachers. They have a bad inter- interpretation of the Scripture. Someone sent me an image of a coffee mug this week. And it said on the coffee mug in the, in the quote, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. (laughs) They just knew I would find that to be, hopefully they don't get me that, oh, I don't know, I would probably drink coffee out of that cup, right? What is the content of what Jesus is saying? You shall not murder, okay? Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So the law did state that it was a sin to commit murder. Okay, that's a better translation in the kill because the very same law actually had death penalty for those who violated God's law in substantive ways. Like if they killed someone, the death penalty was you've taken life, made in God's image, only God gives and takes life, therefore life is required of you. That's how valuable life is. So it's it's not a best translation of saying you shall not kill, it's you shall not commit murder, you shall not murder. Exodus 20, verse 13, that's commandment number six. Now, if that were the entire message right there, that would be a very short message, right? The rabbis, they had the mindset that this law was intact, unbroken, simply by not committing homicide. So I should be able to come to this text. If I was going through the 10 commandments and say, good morning, I'm glad that you are all here. You know, our, our study for today is Exodus twenty thirteen. you shall not murder. Uh, has anybody here committed murder? All right, nobody's committed murder. Great job, everyone. Let's pray and we can, uh, you know, head on out. That was the Pharisee's assessment. That was the scribe's assessment. I've never killed anybody. Haven't taken a knife to anybody. Haven't taken my donkey and, you know, rolled my chariot over anybody. I'm good. The end. And Jesus is saying, hang on a second. You're not rightly understanding the spirit of the law. There's way." way more here. So Jesus then clarified the meaning of Scripture. This is the divine interpretation. This is the exposition of the law in verse 22. But I say to you, okay, remember what I said last week? If you were a lawyer in court and you say, well, the Constitution says, and you read the section and the article, and you say, but, but I say to you, everyone in the legal field would say, well, you can't put your saying on par with the constitution. And Jesus is saying, you've heard it. This is the law, but I say to you. So let's dispense with any idea that Jesus didn't understand and that his hearers didn't understand that he was claiming deity. Sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm sorry to the Mormons. I'm sorry, but I'm really not to all Islam. I'm not. There's no apology for that. You're wrong. Jesus is God, and he said, but I myself say to you, listen, here comes authority. Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus asserts his authority to declare the truth, but I say to you, and then he gets to the heart of the command. God's concern, it extends far beyond our refraining from committing murder. God's concern is the heart. You remember 1 Samuel 16, 7. Samuel, the Lord sees the heart. Yeah, everybody looks on the outside. What do people think of me? What about this shirt? What about this? What about that? But God sees the heart. That's where God's concern is because whatever is in the heart will come out. So when Sophie was in kindergarten, there was this little guy, and I knew this little guy, and he was just an interesting little guy. And, um, he would get frustrated in class and they would be sitting around the tables. And this little guy had a way, kind of like the the little coffee pot, you know, you put the pot on to boil and you can hear the whistle start picking up until it gets full, full full-blown whistle. This little guy had that little, he said, I'm getting angry. And he would sit at the table if he was, you know, somebody took his crayons or he didn't get the color or whatever. Just this little, I mean, he was like so little, I'm getting angry. He Actually, I, I was his bus driver for a little while, so I, I knew the other side of this story. And he would sit there and he'd say, I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry. I'm angry, you know. And so now for all these years, we've had this little, uh, this little guy in our mind, whenever somebody's getting frustrated, it can actually bring levity into a situation. About, I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry. I'm angry, you know. Listen, as we get older, we often conceal that. We're not quite as truthful about our, our frustration and our, our feelings toward our loved ones or toward coworkers or toward neighbors. Or just, you know, we're missing the athletic time right now. Sports, that's where you can really find out where people's passions lie. Coaches, parents. In the stands yelling at referees, Who wants to be a referee?" I mean, "Well, I didn't kill the referee. Oh. Well, you're good to go then. No. There's three statements that reveal the rage, the hatred, the anger in our hearts. Jesus, first of all, says he talks about anger. Anger. Everyone who is angry with his brother, or I might add in your sister, your mom, your dad. Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Don't we often get most frustrated and upset with the ones who have the same last name we do? Can't they get to us? And we get to them way deeper than the people that pass on the street. Now, there is a righteous anger. Jesus was filled with holy anger against the perversion and abuse of his father's house. He cleaned out the temple on at least two occasions. But his anger was perfect. His anger was holy. Sometimes you will find out what you love by what you hate. And he hated evil. He hated unrighteousness. The Bible says that God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day against the wicked. John chapter 3, verse 36, the wrath of God abides on the person who's not believed. If you're here and you've never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, what you have to understand, the clear picture is the wrath of God is over your head. It's impending judgment waiting to fall on you. And the only reason it hasn't fallen on you yet is because God is patient and he's merciful and he's staying through his loving hand judgment upon you and your rebellion against him. Jesus, the wrath Of God was poured out on him, and that wrath will either be received and in your place, the substitute, or it will fall upon you, beloved. Oh, we have to hear and respond in a way. We're justified, and we should hate all that God hates. So, we stand absolutely opposed to abortion, to injustice, to lying, to adultery, to immorality, to divorce, to hypocrisy. All those things that God hates that, that do damage. While at the same time, we want to minister to those who have gone through each of those and all sins included. We're all sinners. So there's no one here above somebody else. Well, at least I've never, what, committed murder? Yeah. We, did you hear all of what Jesus said? No, not yet. I think it might be a good time. I might need to go get the car started. Now you better listen. Listen better listen. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Okay, so there is a time to be angry. There is a reason, there is causes to be angry and upset with and moved into action and not be sin. But there's also an unrighteous anger, and this is like a guy in the Old Testament named King Saul. That guy was angry all the time. This is when we get upset because something was done wrong to me. I've been offended. This is unrighteous anger. It often reveals our misplaced hope, our trust and worship, putting the wrong people in the wrong places. So let me ask you the question, have you been unjustly angry with anyone? Who here can say, no, not me? Well, then there went commandment number nine, you shall not lie. You don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but God does. And if we're honest, isn't it easy for us to identify what other people do wrong and give ourselves the, well, you know, I didn't mean that that way. I'm sorry that you felt that way about what I said. I'm sorry that it came across that way. Don't we have all these ways of saving our own personal I'm not that bad. It's your hearing that's screwed up. I'm sorry for your bad listening. I'm sorry, was that an apology? Or was that another dig? Well, take it however you want it. It's easy for us to just pass right over our own failures and faults. But they did. And, and they said. And, and they, really? Really? anger then he moves to insults whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council all right so the council he's using a word there representing a judicial body jesus could even be acknowledging the rightful place and the lawful purpose of the sanhedrin and the sanhedrin is the one that would gather that group of leaders would gather at night to condemn wrongfully jesus for what remember what he would ask why are you trying to kill me uh, who said we're trying to kill you? <laughs> your face, your your thoughts, everything about you. You they hated Jesus. So have you ever insulted anybody? Well, I've never killed anybody. Uh-huh. But you say things, and I've said things. And then we say this little, just kidding. And we think that there, that, that that cleared that all up is, you know, I'm not that bad. I was just joking. We insult others and excuse ourselves. This is unacceptable. And Jesus is just going straight for the jugular here. Saying, oh, but. You thought you kept the law. Then he moves right into verbal abuse. Whoever says, you fool, okay, that, that word can be, you know, raka, it is a moron, you moron, you idiot. Think about Charlie Brown, you blockhead, empty-headed, stupid, Okay, now while we're thinking about this and what we know is there are people maybe here this morning and you were raised and you had a coach or you had a parent or you had a sibling or somebody influential in your life and they insulted you and perhaps even verbally abused you. Do you want to know how God views this? Are you listening to what Jesus is saying? You're never gonna amount to anything. You're worthless. You're no good. You're this way, you look that way. But listen to what God says. Listen to how God feels about those kind of statements being thrown around and then someone saying, but I've never killed anybody. And God says, I heard what you said. And he's heard what you and I have said. And beyond that, what we've thought and what we've felt. This is so serious. This is the opposite of the, father heart of God, so much for that old kid saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. I, uh, I am not the smartest man, but I'm not foolish enough to think that there's not some of you this morning that are thinking, and I'm sorry to bring that up of past things said about you, but I would bring it up that it might be healed, that you might see the, the father heart of God says, don't listen to those fallen people who were stumbling through their own mistakes and shortcomings and how they went, they went for the throat on you with words because they were struggling with some anxious problem, brokenness in their own life. Look to me. And if out of that brokenness, you look to God and you find the healing that he says, I'm enough for you. The whole world can can come against you. But if the Father heart of God is for you, then you can stand in confidence and say, I am loved. I'm loved. And then you can share that love. And you can help cancel out those kind of malicious statements. Say, but that's not true of you. You're valuable. There's one aim. Jesus is saying, so all of these areas, there's one aim. It's all filthy hatred coming out of the heart. It's all sinfully wrong and entirely deserving of judgment. And judgment will come. There's varying degrees of impact, okay? Let's, I'm, I, we're not saying that it's the same thing that if you shout out your window a curse at somebody on the road... Verses take a gun out and shoot them and they die. There are different consequences, but Jesus is saying, God's perspective is the heart is the same. Consequences are different. We're going to get to it coming weeks. Lust in the heart is different consequences than committing adultery. But when God looks at it, it's offensive to him, all of it. All of it. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Beloved, God takes our ill treatment of others far more seriously than we do. God takes our ill treatment of others far more serious than we do. Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks if you're with a person long enough and you listen to them talk you will find out what's, what's their heart passionate about what are they driven by James Montgomery Boyce, he offers this helpful comment. He said, Do we commit murder? By this definition? Yes. Yes. How so? We lose our temper. We harbor grudges. We gossip. We kill by neglect, spite, and jealousy. And we would learn that we actually do worse things than these if only we could see our hearts as God is able to see them. That's how high his standard is. So rage is a serious problem. More serious than we'd like to admit. More serious than I would like to admit. The second lesson from Jesus is reconciliation is a Christian priority. It's a priority. This is where we see when we reconcile with others, this is absolute, it's actual proof of belonging to Jesus. Because it's played out in our lives as we pursue unity, we pursue fellowship. It's not optional or, you know, that'd be nice. We can't live without it. So verse 23 then, they would be saying, well, what are we going to do about this? How do we respond to this? If, If rage is that big of a problem, then Jesus isn't just saying avoid anger. It's now, let me show you, this is what my disciple will do. Here's the positive. Here's the proactive. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, and I will say that that is a legitimate Claim of wrongdoing, not a violation of someone's opinion or tradition, then leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about worship. True worship reveals, first of all, God's glory. So, he's talking about someone coming to worship and you come into the presence of God and you hear the word of God and you think about who God is and what He has done then it's gonna, it's gonna be where you're coming into the presence of the light of God, and it's gonna start showing imperfections and sin and grossness in our own hearts and lives. Then it's gonna bring to mind, ooh, I said that to my mom this week. I responded in anger to my dad this week. I said this to a teacher. I said this to a friend. I sent this text message. Oh. Would I really have responded that way if Jesus was standing physically next to me? I don't think so. When we come into worshiping the Lord, it reveals the glory of God. It reveals his goodness, that the law of God, creation, his word, his son, all reveal his glory. He is worthy of our adoration and praise, and we've all missed the mark. So when we look at who God is then we see how woefully, desperately wicked our hearts are, and we're reminded of, ooh, maybe something's not right. Maybe you're thinking right now, there's something in my heart, my life right now, I should not have said, I should not have done this week. Maybe it was this year. Maybe it's in this decade. Maybe there's, you're thinking back and you haven't made that right. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? then true worship requires repentance okay it's a change of thinking i came in and i'm going to sing and i'm going to give an offering and i'm going to serve and i'm going to help and oh i remember my faults this day that's what the that's what the butler forgot about joseph in the prison till pharaoh has a dream and he's like two years i forgot joseph get joseph Okay, so if we're sitting in a service, whether it be today or next week or next year, and we're reminded of something we've done wrong, let me just ask you this. Do you even think of that? Do we think of what what is in my life that needs to be hauled out to the curb and laid down at the altar? Are we just going through the motions? Because that's what Jesus is confronting, people who are religiously going through the motions and they weren't dealing with anything in their hearts and lives. The word of God was having no effect on them, but they were religious as the day is long. But they weren't changed. True worship requires repentance. It it leads us to get right with God. This is our vertical relationship. Get right with God. We come into worship. I want to be right with God. I, I believe that's why you're here today. I want to live in a right relationship with God. Then that has... An outflow that I want to be in right relationship horizontally with my loved ones, my family, my coworkers, the people in my community, especially the people in my church. It starts at home. So, can I ask you this morning? Are you perhaps the cause of broken fellowship with someone? That someone's tried to reach out to you and you. T- You just cut them off. Jesus is not talking here about preferences and and keeping human standards and someone sat in my seat and that was my seat in the church and so that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you have offended God and you've offended someone and life just goes on shouldn't be that way. Now there's a caution here because Jesus' listeners, they would have been hearing this and they would have been thinking, so you're telling us that we need to go find ways that everybody's failing the law of God and now we've been given more areas that it's even more intense? Well, come on then. We've got to go find out how these people are not keeping God's law. We thought it was just they didn't kill anybody. Now we've got to go find out if are you hating, are you hating, are you hating? You insulted people, have you? And Jesus like, stop. Look in the mirror. The legalist will pick this up and say, see, you shouldn't partake of communion and you shouldn't be part of the church and you surely are not. And, you, and, and I'm sorry, did we miss the part about the person you see every morning in the mirror? How's God working in here? Because that person sounds radically different because they're merciful and they're gracious and they say, God, you've been so merciful to me. How can I not show mercy to others? I just want other people to know your mercy and know your grace and know your love and know your goodness. Beloved, how can we love Jesus and remember the cross and hold grudges against someone so much that we say, you know what? Give me my membership. I'm out of here and I'm gonna go find another church. You're gonna find the same things, same issues in there because they come carried in your heart here. Here. Have you turned your back on anyone? Have you cut anybody out of your life? Said, I'm not not talking to you anymore, done with you. I can't stress this enough. Do you understand what Jesus is saying to his disciples? This is going to be a a significant characteristic that will set you apart in the world as lights and salt. And and this is where he starts, is with hatred in the heart, bitterness in the heart, with insults, with anger, stepping back from someone. There are times when we, we can't be taken down with someone into sin But we don't turn our back, we step back. There's a visual aid of we don't, as Christians, we don't turn our back and say, I'm done with you. There are people, and I, and I mention it from time to time because I don't know who's here and what's in your heart and what God is working through you. You have to know my heart and God's heart that if you ever do leave a church and you move or whatever, I still have love and prayers and great concern for those people that God placed me as shepherd in their life and they're no longer here. I still am concerned. And though there is a step back, there is never to be a turn back on. God knows my heart and your heart. That there's a waiting like the father for the prodigal son at any opportunity that any person ever comes and says, you know what? I heard a message about if I have something in my heart against someone, and so I stopped the worship service where I was, and I need to send a text message, I need to make a phone call, I'll send an email, how welcome that would be. going through the motions of worship is unacceptable to God in both Testaments, beloved. It's what's called perfunctory worship, going through the motions. Listen, it, what's happened in a marriage if, if if the husband and wife begin just going through the motions? Like, like, like they're business par- partners and they're just... Side by side, that's hurtful. And some of you have been through that type of a relationship. Some of you might be, whether online or here, you might be going through something like that now. And you're saying, God, will you intervene? Because I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to go to functions and whatever and say, yeah, that's my, my, my wife, and there's my husband. And, and you have what you remember that you fell in love with. God, give me that first love back. You think God wants less from us? Deuteronomy 6, verses 4, 5, and 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your where? Right here, heart. It's all about the heart. Micah chapter 6. Verse 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? You hear what Jesus was saying? You come to the altar and you're going to offer? Is that what God wants first and foremost? No. Verse 7, Micah 6, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams, with ten thousand of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What do you want, Lord? You want my money? You want my family? You want my career? My wealth? Uh, what does the Lord want? He didn't mumble. In verse eight. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do what? Justice. And to love? Kindness or mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Does that describe us? Does that describe you? So again, Matthew 15, verse 8. We read it a little bit ago. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is where? Is it? Is the Lord saying that? Is the Lord bringing conviction by the Holy Spirit to anyone under the sound of my voice that I'm here, but my heart is not here? Oh, God, let me afresh and give you my heart. Let's go back to the basics. True worship revitalizes Fellowship reveals God's glory, requires repentance, and then it does something when we get right with God and we get right with others, we just get fired up. It's like revival inside. We remember and we repent and we reconcile, and then guess what? We return with joy. He didn't say just you know, throw your offering in the ditch and be done with it. He said, park it for a minute. Tell the folks, I'll be right back. I have something I have to take care of, and then I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to come back in obedience, and there's going to be a sense of I've obeyed the Lord, and he rewards with joy for obedience. This is very similar to Jesus' warning and invitation to the Ephesian church, Revelation chapter 2. This church had great leaders, in the New Testament, they had Paul as a leader, they had Timothy as a leader, they had the Apostle John as a leader. This was an amazing church. They knew their Bibles, they were trained well, they were doctrinally sound, they were fighting against people who were wrong, you know, theologically, they're like, You're wrong, and we can prove it to you seven ways, and this and that, and Jesus said, and Paul said, and hey, we've got all this training and training, and they were they were wrong because they were mean. Revelation 2, 4, Jesus says, But, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you, what is the Lord Jesus' desire always and forever? Repent. Change your ways. Change your mind. The Lord is the one who changes a heart. That vertically, we're restored in fellowship. It's God's invitation to come back. Come back into fellowship. Get right with with God. This is a vertical invitation to live in peace and harmony with him. When the people returned from exile, let's go to one location in the Old Testament, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, all right, that that was the book that we were going to enter into a a study and and, um, then the pandemic hit and and plans changed and I thought we would be nowhere near uh, approaching any type of building in 2021 or 2022. So we went into the Sermon on the Mount, we go back and forth, New Testament, Old Testament. But Nehemiah is where they're building, And God gives a heart to build, and God has given uh, generosity through the people of his people, and we have seen amazing provision, and we're trusting him for our future. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, the people are gathering together, and they, they come together as one man, the verse says, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. All right, sounding good, right? So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seven month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. You think my sermons are long? There you go. All right, there, there's the message right there. In the presence of the men and the women and of those under could, uh, who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, verse four. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform. All right, here we go. That's why we we set it up, all right? It's not because anybody up here is amazing. It's because it's, it's set apart in the room as something is coming from that elevated place and we need to listen to it. We're under it. It's, it's, it's the dimensions of the room are theological. It, it's come, it comes out of the scripture, okay? So Ezra is there. Uh, he opens the scribe. He's on the wooden platform. I want to jump down to verse 6. Go back to verse five. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God and all the people answered, amen, amen. So be it, so be it. We learned that last week, right? That's not a man and a woman, that's so be it. Let it be true, this is sure. Lifting up their hands, that's why we lift our hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, Also, these other guys, all right, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Verse eight, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Has that ever happened to you? Where you came to a sermon and your heart is moved and your eyes start leaking like somebody's cutting onions around you and you're like, oh, what's going on? I mean, I've heard of this happening, okay? Every now and then, somebody getting emotional Well, what are they going to do? Are they going to just stay around and just weep and cry? And that's right, we have messed up and we've offended God and we're sinful. No, no, no. Listen to it. This This is why we're in this Old Testament text. Verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has had, has nothing ready for this day is holy to our lord and do not be grieved why not for the joy of the lord is your strength So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is why this is the pinnacle of any ministry. It's the preaching of the word that we come in. And we hear the word preached, our hearts are broken, and then here is the balm that comes from God. What we need in healing is the invitation, go make it right. Get right with God. Get right with others and rejoice. Why? Because God has made a way for sinners, and he is the sacrifice. And that puts us in a horizontal place where we can be in fellowship. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, Paul writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Beloved, that is not just a verse for kids. Now be kind to your sister. Be kind to your brother. Bible says, I'm sorry, Dad, wasn't that you, man, that car that cut you off in traffic the other day? Yeah, but I'm talking to you now, son. All right, Dad. All right, Mom. Rage is a serious problem. Reconciliation is a Christian priority. Resolving conflict is our third lesson, demands an urgent pursuit of peace. There's no delay here. The last two verses that Jesus unpacks, the point is resolve conflict with urgency. Pursue peace. Get on it. Disciples will obey right away, they will not delay. There's urgency here. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. That's the word Satan, the accuser of the brethren. While you're going with him to court, lest your accuser, there's that word again, hand you over to the judge, the judge of the guard, you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What is Jesus saying here? Work out conflict intentionally. Be intentional. Now, you can't make the other person on the other side of the conflict resolve the conflict if they're harboring bitterness against you, jealousy against you, whatever it may be, you can't resolve that for them. If you've offended and done wrong to someone, then you can do what you are able to do, but you can't solve and you can't fix everything for everybody, but be intentional about working out conflict. Deal with the conflict. Don't get sidetracked. Don't procrastinate. That's easy for me to do. It's easy for us to do. This is what Jesus is pointing to. This is his illustration. Somebody being taken to court. He's saying, don't don't wait till you get to court. Work it out on the way. Address it. A disciple of Jesus will work out conflict. They will be peacemakers. So if someone is not a peacemaker, but a peace faker or breaker, they, this is not me. I'm, I'm just a mailman delivering the message. There needs to be serious evaluation if they truly belong to the Lord Jesus Christ or not. No one will stand before me, but I will stand before the Lord, and I'm obligated to deliver his word. And if somebody just runs from conflict and runs from conflict and doesn't humbly work out conflict, the Lord Jesus is quite serious about this. This is intense language here. Jesus intends for his children to strive for peace and settle for nothing less I want to be perfect in making peace with others. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with some people. Is that what it says? Strive with, uh, you know, for peace with the people that you like in your family, uh, that you like in your church. You know? the, the people are about your age group and your demographics. No, 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 no. Strive for peace with the people in your political party. Everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you understand the intensity of this? You can't have holiness without striving for peace. You can't be right with God and, and wrong with people and live in wrong relationships with people and say, But I'm right with God. No, you're not. No, I'm not. Do you know how thankful I am for the people who have just, I mean, we're coming up on 15 years here. And beyond that in my life, people who have known me, seen good things and seen the difficult parts of my personality, the sinful parts of my personality, and they love me. And those are individuals in my family and in the church family that have gone through good times and bad times, and they're just right there by my side. Do you know the praise and thanksgiving that I have to God for you? I'm I'm looking at you today. I can't see people behind the camera but I'm thankful, absolutely thankful and grateful to God for you. Work out conflict humbly. I think of the illustration in Alistair Begg's marriage book. The husband and wife get into an argument. The husband goes outside It's raining outside. He's mad he's going to walk off some steam, puts his coat on, slams the door, and the door is locked, and he slammed the door on his coat. He's stuck on the porch. So he knocks on the door. His wife comes, opens the door, sees what was going on. He didn't have his keys, and she begins to laugh. There's there's a moment of we could laugh, This could be funny, and we could just call it what it is, and you can come in, and that, if you you know what I'm talking about. I do. I get this illustration, that split second of, you're forking the road. I could join you in laughter and laugh at myself and us and come in, and there could be peace made. And he goes, grabs that coat, walks out into the rain, and crushes his wife that plays out so many times in relationships. And it's over silly things often that lead to great significant hurt. Oh, beloved, God cares about this. Be humble. That's the entire chapter 18 in Matthew. Matthew 18 all about humility. Work out conflict immediately. This is Jesus' point. Be intentional. Be humble. God, help us to be intentional. God, help us to be humble. God, help us, your children, to work out conflict immediately. Choose to address conflict at the earliest point possible. Help one another make for peace. Make for peace. There are times when we're righteously angry as Jesus was, Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. But then, I didn't read it earlier, but Paul goes on in Ephesians 4.26, and he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like, deal with it today. And give no opportunity to the devil. If we, if I, if you don't deal with conflict, we're, we're, we're inviting, we're cracking the door saying, Satan, we need another person in this relationship. Come on in. No. Husbands, wives, family members, siblings, don't give opportunity to the devil by being bitter and hateful and angry. Paul echoed the teaching of Jesus when he wrote to the disciples at Rome, Romans 12. And you think about this, and I think this is a fitting way to come to a close in this sermon, especially with the political temperature in this country right now. We we are in a volatile time, and people are so opposed to each other, can't talk to each other, all of the aspects of the media companies just canceling speech. What do I know? Okay, I know that my message is not well-received by the norm of today. Just as Jesus wasn't, and I'm not Jesus. I'm just echoing his message. And if you can be canceled in this country... I'm thankful my hope is not in whoever is in Lansing and Washington. How many times have I said this over the years? Is there great concern? Yeah. But there's also great hope and great confidence and trust in the Lord. And Paul writes this in Romans 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. So it doesn't matter, Paul, what's been done wrong to us. And what's, what's wrong, Paul, it's wrong. And I want to post, and I want to tweet, and I want to march, and I want to go make a big noise. Leave it to the wrath of God. you think God doesn't know in every situation? He knows everything about every situation and every one Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written. Notice Paul didn't say, you've heard it said. He says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, to the contrary. So rather than avenge yourselves, do you see this counterculture? Do you see how the church should stand out as refreshingly winsome in the middle of chaos? He says, here's what you do, church at Rome. Soon they'll be sewing up the bodies of Christians into animal skins and throwing them in for entertainment in the Colosseum so that people can watch Christians be martyred. But we've got it bad, right? Perspective is helpful. Read history. Read church history. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, what, what do you do? To, what are we supposed to do for our enemy? Give them something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, do not, do not be overcome by what? But overcome evil with what always wins light. Light. Darkness cannot hide the light. Amen? So are we children of the light? That's the question. That is the heart desire of every disciple of Christ. So can I ask you that this morning? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Is it evident? Is it obvious in how you function in your day-to-day relationships? Is the love of Christ making a radical difference in our thoughts, in our actions and attitudes and how we deal with one another? Rage is a serious problem. A serious problem. Reconciliation is our priority as Christians and resolving conflict demands an urgent pursuit of peace. Oh God, help us. You have reconciled us to reconcile others. So there's a few questions at the bottom of our worship guide. These questions will also be in our small group study guide. How do I struggle with becoming angry at the wrong things? Anybody here struggling with being angry at the wrong things? No? Oh, it's the 11 o'clock hour, okay? You guys just had to sit through this one. I'm, I'm waiting for the 11 o'clock. They, they're the ones, okay? It's not, it's not you. Somebody's like, jerk. Ah, got gotcha. you. Insult. Have I offended God by not rightly working out conflict? That kind of gives us the perspective we need, doesn't it? So then what is your next step to respond rightly to the message of the Lord Jesus? What's your next step to avoid anger and pursue peace? Take that step today. It might be while we're singing this last song Let's stand together, that you make a note, that you get ready to send a text, and you say, can we talk to somebody? And you prepare. But our prayer is, God, help us to respond rightly to your message, avoiding anger and pursuing peace. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for Jesus. The only reason that we can have peace is because Jesus is our peace. Jesus was condemned, lied about, hatefully, brutally murdered, put to death, killed. So that we who are guilty could go free. Thank you, thank you for the gospel. So may we as your children live in light of the gospel and may anyone under the sound of my voice who has never turned from their sin and trusted in you, may they hear the call of salvation today, go out to them and respond. In Jesus' good and precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.